We all love stories. When my boys were little, I would read to them Good Night Moon or Where the Wild Things Are, these storybooks that we read to our children. As we get a little older, we start to read these stories on our own, whether it's James and the Giant Peach or The Hobbit or Where the Red Fern Grows. Our imaginations grow as we hear or read them. I mean, even adults love stories. And the truth is, is that most of our movies that we watch, they are stories. Some are fictional and others are also true. We like to be entertained by stories, and we can easily binge-watch television shows that draw us into those stories. But we're not just wired to love story books or movies or television shows. We also like real-life stories. See, a story can connect us in our lives together. Some of us have special family stories of trips or adventures that we have remembered or taken together, and we often retell them when the fat families gather together over maybe special holidays or whatever uh, vacation plans that we have together. Some of us have certain family members who always retell the same story over and over when we're gathered together. And you know who I'm talking about. They, they repeat the same story so much that we could retell that story word for word ourselves. We all like stories, don't we? All kinds of them. I share stories spent with time with my grandfather with my sons because they never had an opportunity to meet him. Angela does the same with her grandmother. For their memories live on in those stories and our boys are able to get to know them even though they've never met them. Our lives are a story that's being lived out each and every day. But our story is not just our own. You see, it's rooted and connected to the greater story, God's story. So far, we have been studying the book of Exodus together, which is a story about God and God's faithfulness to his people Israel. This story is rooted in God's promise of deliverance from slavery to freedom. It's a story that involves main characters, Moses, the protagonist, and Pharaoh, the antagonist. And yet central to this story that involves the Israelites and the Egyptians is God. You can't see him, but you can see what he does. And so today we have read about the central story of Israel, the Passover God has instructed Moses to order Pharaoh to let his people go, but time and time again, Pharaoh refuses to do so. His heart remains hardened, and he refuses to relent. So God wrestles with Pharaoh by displaying his mighty signs and wonders, and so he turns the Nile River into blood. He sends a plague of frogs, of gnats, of flies, and even of locusts to infiltrate all of Egypt. But this doesn't change Pharaoh's mind Then he sends a plague on the livestock and a plague on the boils of the people and the animals and a, a plague of hail on all the crops and even a plague of darkness for three full days. But this does not change Pharaoh's mind. He still refuses to let the people of Israel go. And so all of us, all of this leads us to the last and final plague, the death of the firstborn son of all people and of animals. So God instructs Moses to share this news with Pharaoh, but once again, Pharaoh refuses to listen to him. 
Moses. God gives Moses and all of Israel instructions on what they are to do in order to escape this plague. He tells them to choose a year-old lamb without defect to be sacrificed and to be eaten by the family on the night that God will act. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. On that night, God will pass through Egypt and will strike down every firstborn of both people and animals, bringing judgment on all the gods of Egypt. God tells Moses and Aaron this. He says, The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. God will pass over the homes that are marked with the blood of the Lamb. These homes will be those of the Israelites who have been claimed by God as his very own. And the blood will be a sign, not to God, but to the Israelites. You see, God doesn't need a GPS to figure out who belongs to him or a sign of blood for that matter. The sacrificial lamb is a sign of life that was given for Israel's redemption. The blood of the lamb is a sign of God's redemption for them, bringing them from death to life, from slavery and oppression to freedom and to joy. But this is a story. It's a story of liberation, a story of death and new life. You see, the story began with Israel's children being slaughtered by Pharaoh, but now the roles are being reversed. This time, the Israelites will not be wailing, but the Egyptians Every Egyptian household will be affected from Pharaoh at the very top to the slave at the very bottom. For Israel is God's firstborn son, saved from destruction and delivered into a new life. And this time Egypt will mourn and will beg the Israelites to leave them. And this is exactly what happens. Exodus tells us at midnight the Lord struck down all the firstborn in Egypt from the firstborn of Pharaoh, who sat on the throne, to the firstborn of the prisoner who was in the dungeon, and the firstborn of all the livestock as well. Pharaoh and all his officials and all the Egyptians got up during the night, and there was loud wailing in Egypt, for there was not a house without someone dead. In this moment, finally Pharaoh orders Moses and Aaron to come to him, and he relents and tells them to take their people and to leave. He admits defeat, telling them to go and to worship their God, Yahweh. And his acknowledgement of Yahweh is waving the white flag of surrender. Egypt's gods have no power over the God of Israel. In fact, he orders Moses to bless him before they leave. And this is the ultimate sign of weakness. For Pharaoh was the blessed one who had the authority to bless others. But now he has lost all of his power. You see, the Passover becomes the definitive story of Israel's triumph and is still the central story of their history today. In fact, God ordered them to commemorate this day for generations to come as a festival to the Lord. God expects them to retell this story every year as they remember and celebrate what God has done for them. He says to them, When you enter the land that the Lord will give you as he promised, observe this ceremony. And when your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean to you? Then tell them, it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord 
who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. Essentially, they are to pass this on from generation to generation. Retelling the story not only remembers what God has done in Israel's past, but it claims them as God's people delivered now in the present. They are intertwined in part of God's story of redemption and salvation. In doing so, they acknowledge that they are God's children of the marked doorposts. You see, their story isn't all blessing. They were aliens in Egypt and suffered affliction. They were treated harshly and suffered oppression and slavery and toil for 400 years. God heard their cries. He saw their affliction. And he led them out with his mighty hand. For God rewrote the script and he gives it a happy ending. My question is, what about you? What is your story? Do you remember God calling you out of your own story and incorporating you into God's very own? Can you look back on your journey in life and see how God has heard your cries, how he's seen your affliction, how he's rescued you from oppression? Have you experienced God's mercy, God's grace, and God's blessing? Have you seen the mighty wonders of God in your life? You see, God's story with God's people is a journey. It's a journey that doesn't find the beauty of the promised land without first wandering through the harshness of Egypt. It's a story of life together, God's presence in the midst of pain and of suffering, and also in the midst of freedom and joy and blessing. Yet, the beauty of the story of God's relationship with his people is that even God has experienced the wilderness, the desert, and the troubles of this life. In Jesus Christ, God knows what it's like to be rejected. God understands what it's like to be financially insecure. And God knows what it's like to experience pain and suffering and even death. You see, the Exodus story is only the first two Passovers. It was John the Baptist who declared this when he saw Jesus coming to him to be baptized. And he said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The Last Supper is a celebration of the Passover meal, but interpreted differently by Jesus himself. When he speaks to his disciples over this meal, he looks at them and says, this is my body. And this is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for many. On the cross, a precious lamb without defect was slain once and for all. His blood becomes the sign which marks the doorpost of our hearts. We are claimed and marked as God's people saved and delivered from destruction. And like Israel in Egypt, we are passed over from God's judgment. Yet this time, God gives up his firstborn for all of us. Our story is rooted in God's story of salvation and deliverance. We remember the Exodus, God's gracious hand in claiming Israel and leading them out of oppression. But we also find its fulfillment in Jesus Christ, who becomes our Passover lamb, slain so that we might have life and have it abundantly. In Christ, we are freed from the oppression of sin and of death, and promise an inheritance of the true promised land where there will be no more tears, no more pain, 
and no more fears. In Jesus Christ, our story, our journey is shaped by the same God who delivered the Israelites and commanded them to remember their story. But he also commands us to remember the new exodus that took place during Passover, which has delivered us from death to life. Jesus tells us, do this in remembrance of me. You see, it's our responsibility to retell the story. This story to our children, to our children's children for generations to come so that we never forget what God has done, what God is doing, and what God will do. For God has incorporated us into his amazing story of love and of grace. It's a story like no other. In fact, it's the greatest story ever told, but we must be intentional about telling it even as we continue to live into it. In doing so, we not only remember what God has done in the past, but we are also claimed as God's people delivered in the present. Yet we claim this with absolute humility sharing the good news of this story by proclaiming the truth of God's grace and deliverance to a world oppressed by false gods. For God's story is not yet complete. For there are still many who have yet to hear it and many who have yet to believe it. So friends, our challenge is to remember this story and to pass it on to our children and to our children's children and to those whom God places directly into our lives. May our lips and our lives declare the good news of God's salvation and deliverance found at Passover. You see, it's the only story that never, ever gets old. So friends, may we do this together to remember what God has done what God is doing, and to anticipate what God will do in his promises for us in the future. This is our story, God's story. Let us continue to tell it together. Friends, may it be so this day and forevermore. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.